Amen. Well, church, I hope you're taking moments like this and making notes in your heart of the presence of the Lord, and we sense that in this place. Amen? You know, it's times like this when we begin to say, Father, take me out of what is just comfortable for me and help me get into the things that you want to stretch me in. If you uh, have not been here over the last couple of weeks, uh, that's exactly what Jesus has been teaching us in this series called Growing Deeper as we're looking through the book of 1 Corinthians together. If you have a Bible, open it up, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians here in just a second. And uh, just by way of reminder, when we uh, started this teaching together in 1 Corinthians, looking at what Paul first said to those in Corinth, and he said he's going to all Christians everywhere, it was kind of a, a word of warning that I shared with you. If you've come in desiring just a good little talk, desiring just uh, something to tickle your ears, I'm afraid you're going to be very, very disappointed today. Because uh, Paul's message and the message that I bring to you is not for our entertainment. It's one to grow us up in the things of God. Paul is using this time in teaching in 1 Corinthians to respond to some questions that they asked him, and he is teaching them. Remember our first week, we saw how he called them to move from division to unity. He said, focus on the things that are most important and have liberty, and don't bicker about the things that are not essential. Go from division to unity. And then we went from that teaching, and he called us to move from compromise to commitment. Now, he talked specifically about the area of sexual sin, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Some of you are still kind of uh, letting that rattle in your brain of the teaching we had. But God was calling us, through Paul, to move from that compromise to commitment. And last week we saw how Paul is growing the church, telling them to go deeper in the things of God by not staying in legalism. Not staying so in love with the rules, but to have liberty come. And we saw that Paul was teaching the church then, and he's teaching us now, that on one side there's a pitfall of a love of rules. On the other side, there's another pitfall of the love of my rights. So it's not going to the other side and having no limits, but saying, Jesus, fix my eyes on you and help me have true liberty and freedom. Today, uh, Paul is going to bring teaching. uh, We're going to look at chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and maybe the... The last verse of chapter 10. And he's going to help us see that we need to move from attendance to worship. We can just kind of be present or we can be worshiping. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. Don't turn there, just listen. It tells us a person who is living on milk, they're not very mature in the things of God. But solid food is for those who are mature. And so today, I want to give a word of, uh, of caution that we're going to be diving into some meat, to some steak today. And so if you're new to faith, you are welcome here. You just participate however you feel comfortable. But there may be a moment you feel like you're kind of choking on this. That's okay. Look around for someone who looks like really mature and have them give you the Heimlich and just kind of help you through it. But we want the good, solid food, the meat that Paul is offering. So we're going to dive into that together. I shared this with a group of men on Saturday morning, but I want to share it again. It kind of helps me frame the picture of what I think God wants to do for us. It was about three or four years ago, and I was shopping at the mall with my wife, Carrie, and uh, I kind of got tired of going through the women's uh, area of the department store, and I had my cell phone, and she had hers, and I said, why don't you go ahead and shop? You just call me when you're done. I'm going to go look around. 
it's a dangerous thing to aimlessly wander through the mall and have no idea what you're looking for. And so I was walking through the men's section there at the department store, and I came across this display table of compression undershirts. I never heard of such a thing. And uh, on this display table of compression undershirts for men was this TV, and uh, it had a loop plane. And I saw Jay Leno was on there talking about how wonderful these were, that if you wore this compression undershirt, you could wear two suit coat sizes smaller, instantly slimming. I haven't been accused of being a skinny guy for a long time, and this caught my attention. Right after him was Warren Sapp, the football player, and, and he said, this is amazing. I put on this compression undershirt and, and instantly two suit coats size smaller. And I thought, this is, this is kind of good. Not wanting to fall hook, line, and sinker for it, I, I walked on and, and lo and behold, about 50 feet farther, there was a second display of the same thing. And I watched the same loop again, and I, I'm, I'm biting the hook hard now. I'm thinking, this is a wonderful thing. And and I kind of glanced down and looked at myself, and I thought, all right, if I'm a size 2X t-shirt, I wonder what a medium would do. (laughs) I mean, let's just go for four coat sizes smaller. And so I was a little bit embarrassed that I'm trying on, you know, or wanting to try on this undershirt. It's kind of like underwear. You don't try that on in a store. But but i got to see if this really works. And so I grabbed a medium. I stuck it under my arm and, and kind of dodged and made my way to the dressing room. I'm sure I looked pretty uh, shady as I was trying to hide something and going into a dressing room. And, and I made my way in there, and, and I thought, I'm going to try this on. So I opened it up, and I pulled it out of the package, and I looked at it. I thought, something has got to be wrong. This would fit one of my daughter's dolls. I mean, and this is going to go on my body? I checked it, and it said four men, and it said size medium. And I'm thinking, hey, if two coat sizes, we're going to go instantly down four. And so I, I grabbed this medium compression undershirt. And I began to put it on and and put my hands through it and pull it down with all my strength. And I got to right about here, and I thought, something is not right. This is not good. But I was beyond the point of return. I couldn't quite get it off, and I couldn't get it to go down any farther. And and now I'm beginning to panic, and and I'm feeling stuck. And I thought, well, you know what? My wife has her cell phone. I'm going to call Carrie. She can come in here and help me get out of this mess. But it was then it dawned on me that my cell phone was in my right front pocket of my jeans. And so I I couldn't I couldn't quite reach it and another level of panic set in that I can't get this thing off, I can't call anybody, and surely I'm not gonna walk out in the department store and ask for some lady to help me with my white untanned belly sticking out. That wasn't gonna happen. So I thought only if I could just reach my pocket knife, I'll cut this thing off, I'll pay for the shirt, I don't care. And and after about 20 or 30 minutes of wrestling with this in fear and panic, I got it off, I laid it down, I said I want to have nothing to do with compression t-shirts. I will wear four coat sizes larger, I don't care for the rest of my life. This doesn't fit me. I'm not intended to wear this, this is not for me. I don't care what Warren Sapp says, I don't care what Jay Leno says, I'm not a compression t-shirt guy, it's not going to work. You know, I think some of us have experienced some things in worship that make us respond that way. And we say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That is not me. And you know what? I believe it's the lie of the enemy that we have not been putting on the garment of praise as God has talked about. We've been putting on something that's fashioned that was not intended for our body. It was not intended for us. And, and we had a, a false idea of worship. And Paul is addressing these problems in the church. And so as we dive through this meaty, heavy stuff, there may be a moment you need to look to your person or to your left or your right and say, give me the Heimlich. I'm kind of choking on all this stuff. But I want you to remember that we have bought into an idea of worship that we were never intended to put on. 
It squeezes you and puts you in positions that you don't feel comfortable in. And God says, I don't want you to worship that way. And Paul says, you shouldn't worship that way. We pick that up and we're going to begin to see here. Turn to chapter 10, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians. As we walk through this, we're going to look for principles that are in this passage of Scripture. Principles that are in this passage of of Scripture. If you're taking notes, uh, write this down in your outline because you see in God's Word there is principles. And a principle is a truth that is transcultural and it's universal. It's transcultural and universal. That means that for every person through all cultures, through all time, this principle is true all of the time. In other words, is what Paul is teaching them 2,000 years ago still applies to us today right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana and Grace Point Church of the Nazarene. This is true for us. But also, there's not only principles in these passages of Scripture, there's also points of application. Write this in in your notes. Application is simply an example of the principle being lived out in the context of culture. So this application, we're looking to have an example of this principle being lived out in the context of the culture in which we find ourselves. And that's what we need to do together today as we study God's Word. There's three different principles that help us mature in the things of God, put roots down deep in the area of worship. The first one is this. Paul is teaching us to glorify God alone. Glorify God alone. He says there in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, worship, it's not about a hymn, it's not about a chorus, it's not about a tempo, it's not about a volume, it's not about your preference or or a good preference or a bad preference, it's about God and God alone. It's not about what you desire, it's not about what's on your iPod or your iPhone or your iPad, it's not about what is on your record or your 8-track or I don't know how far back we're going to go, the telegraph thing, I'm not sure how far we're going to get, but God is wanting us to worship Him. Not a format, not a style, not our own preference, and, and this was constraining the church. And it didn't seem to fit, and it was sucking them in, and they felt trapped. And and Paul says, you were never intended to make worship about that. It's about God and God alone. Worship, it's really about who we are on the inside. It's not about a format of what we do. It's probably better put is worship is about what happens outside these walls all the rest of the week, and then about what we bring in with us. See, we come together to worship, and when we worship in here, it needs to be an overflow of our worship out there. Isaiah in chapter 1, don't turn there, but just listen. Isaiah in chapter 1, we find God is confronting some of his kids. He's confronting them about their worship, and here's what he says. God basically says, your worship is making me sick. Your songs are making me nauseous. Your prayers make me run a run away. A little bit. Later, a few chapters beyond chapter 1, God reveals why when he says, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, Paul is picking up on the same theme, and he's saying, Worship has to be a lifestyle. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, if you're not giving glory to God with your life outside these walls, when you come into church, you're not worshiping, friend. You're just attending. Now, I want to make something very clear. You are always welcome to attend here. No matter what stage of exploration of your faith, you are welcome. This is a place that is safe for you. 
But I want to let you know, if you just attend and you never ever move into worship, you're not experiencing some of the rich joys of what God has. God wants to bless you. He wants to strengthen you and grow you deep into Him through worship. This growth spurt that takes place when we realize that the Christian life is really has little to do with what happens in this room and it has everything to do with what happens outside of this room, some lights begin to turn on for us. Many of us grew up with a faith understanding that was contrary to this. We were taught that we serve God in here, we worship God in here, and, and we come in and we sing a few songs and we do it a certain way and it looks a certain way and that must be worship, that must be what God wants from me. You may have come to the sermon time and it didn't keep your attention and it didn't really grab you, but you thought, you know what, I'm punching my worship card and so I'm just going to sit here and endure it a little bit longer and then it's over for the rest of the week. And I got worship in. Paul says, no, this is not at all what is for you. No wonder you feel constrained. No wonder you can't seem to put it on. This is not the garment of praise. This is not what worship is about. It's about God and God alone. Not about anything else that we try to make it. Now, now this next truth here, it's for somebody. This is why you woke up, why you came to church today. God wants to, to give you this nugget of truth. Here it is. See, when we come to church... We don't come here to worship. You come in these doors already worshiping something. I don't care who you are. You came in today, whether it's the first time or whether it's your last time. I don't know if this could be your last time. Or you come every week. You came in worshiping something. What Paul says is, guys, let's get an attitude of praise and worship that happens where it glorifies him and him alone. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And when we gather together, it's an overflow of what we have done in our life for worship for him. This place is a place of worship, sure, but so is your house. So is your place of work. So is your school. So is the ball field. So is the stadium. So is the Walmart. So is the mall. When we begin to see that any place that we go can be a place of worship, the light turns on that God can be glorified in every area of our life if we allow Him to mold and shape us the way He wants to. We want to get a little bit deeper at this and and begin to see the nitty-gritty of how we can live this out. So Paul helps us in that. Today I want us to look at the question of worship. There's a few questions here, and in your outline, write that out. The, The first question here is the question of worship. How can you tell if you're just an attendee or if you're really a worshiper? Right underneath that, here's a question that helps us answer that. Who or what is in the position of glory in your life? You want to know if you are worshiping or just attending here. You want to know who you're worshiping. Answer the question, what or who is in the position of glory in your life? Maybe you glorify yourself. Maybe it's your spouse who you glorify. Maybe it's your hobby. Maybe you glorify your kids. Maybe you glorify your job. Maybe you glorify money. But who or what you glorify, that is what you are worshiping. Now here's another question to help us get at, well, the question of glory. This question of glory to help us understand really what we mean by who do we glorify. Here's how we answer that. Who or what do you sacrifice for? Who or what in your everyday life do you sacrifice for? Some people sacrifice their family for their house. 
They give up things with their family so they can make sure they have the house they want to because that's what they really glorify is that particular house and that's what you do for things you glorify. You, you sacrifice for them. Some people sacrifice their family for their job because that's what you do for what you glorify. You, you glorify your job and so I'm going to sacrifice my family and I'm going to uplift my job because that's what's really important to me. Who or what has a position of glory in your life? Who or what do you sacrifice for? Maybe you're sacrificing your marriage for the sake of your kids. But loving your kid is not a bad thing. But when we begin to say, I'm going to sacrifice my marriage to make sure I keep the kids happy, make sure I give them what they want, we begin to see who and what we glorify. Maybe we sacrifice relationships for our own free time. We sacrifice money and time for some kind of addiction, something that we're tied to. What do we sacrifice for? So Paul's asking this question, is God in the position of glory in your life? If so, are you sacrificing for him? It's for God's glory alone. That's that first principle in worship. Sometimes we see problems in our life, and it's not really what they present themselves to be. If you'd say, well, well Brady, I've got, a, I've got a shopping problem. I've got a shopping addiction. And, and, you know, it's that Internet. It's so easy. I can get to it, and I can just order things. And, and really, it's a, it's a shopping problem. I'd say, no, you don't have a shopping problem. You have a worship problem. It's a worship problem because you are sacrificing your money, your time, even your family for these things that you're buying. And so you're beginning to glorify the shopping addiction. And that is the heart of the problem. Worship goes way beyond just a a set of time in this room. Some people would say, you know what, it's not a shopping problem for me. Uh, I've got a, a drinking problem. Don't tell anybody, but I've got a pornography problem. I've got some kind of secret addiction, and and it's not a a problem in those particular areas. It's a worship problem because you are sacrificing to glorify that need, that addiction, that area of pleasure in your life. And God says, would you let me be number one? Would you glorify me and sacrifice those other things? Worship is much broader than what we have tried to make it to be in our past. See, God will not share our glory. I was... uh, praying this week and I realize that sometimes even the way we pray sometimes can rob God of his glory. It's that time when we pray and it's that single person who prays for a spouse and they say, God, I'm so lonely and it's been my life dream. I've always pictured me with that special someone and and, and God, would you please give me that spouse? It's that person who prays, God, would you help me sell this house and and help me buy that bigger house? I I really, I always see myself in in that dream house. Help me get to that house. God, I I want you to help me find that that better job. I, I know you want to advance me and give me everything that I want. And so, God, would you help me find that job? It's that couple who says, God... We have, we have always wanted to have a child. I, I, I'm living to have a child. Would you, would you bless us with a child? Now hear me clearly. None of these prayers are wrong in and of themselves. Many of us have been at places when we have uttered something similar and we're to take every care and concern we have to the Lord. But could it possibly be that what we are praying for is something that, that glorifies us and maybe not God? Now God wants to bless us with children at times, and God wants to bless some with a spouse at times, and and God wants to bless us with uh, influence at a job at times, and He wants to bless you with a house at times. But, But you see, sometimes when we pray, we expect God to give us a yes. But if we don't ask the question, if God answers this, is He glorifying Himself or glorifying me? Because I don't think God is in the business of of handing out idols. 
God knows our heart, and sometimes what I'm praying for, I really love more than Him. And it's a worship problem. Pastor, we're moving from attendance to worship. Shouldn't you be talking about music? Shouldn't you be talking about, like, the length of the service? Shouldn't you be talking about what you're supposed to wear and all these things? We'll talk about some of those. But that's not big enough. Worship is about giving God the glory and everything we do. Whatever we do, eat or drink, give God the glory. Let's move on. The principle number two that we see here in chapter 11, verse 1 through 16. Already, this is where some of us may need the Heimlich. All right, you may start choking on this. It's okay. If you don't like it, that's fine. Just, just hang with me here for a minute. We see a second principle, and it's to submit to God's authority. Submit to God's authority. Now, we won't be able to read through every verse here. And so, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Begin to look at verse 1 through 16. Don't ever take my word for it. Always read God's word. And maybe study this later today. But here's what we see in this passage. If you read ahead, some of your stomachs are kind of in knots going, Oh, we're not going to talk about this, are we? Pastor, would you just kind of skip over this? It kind of got me all riled up when you, you talked about sexual sin a couple weeks ago i can't handle it again don't talk don't talk about something controversial today well well church i I promise you that we're going to stay true to our history that we believe that god wrote a book we believe that everything he said is true and and we are going to believe that he wants us to see this as a book of examples not exceptions and, and we're going to live out everything that he says god's word says i will not depart From the book of the law, I will keep it in my mouth, and I will be careful to do what it says. And God says, I will be with you always. Be strong and courageous. Some of us want to be strong and courageous, but we don't want to keep the book of the law or the word of God in our mouth. And do everything that it says. Let's just do part of it. Well, we we can't do that. We've already committed to, to obey everything that he has. And so let's look at this scripture today. It's meat. It's steak. Let's chew on it together. Let's look at verse 3. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Did Paul just say that? I mean, did he just say that the head of woman is man? Now, if there's any debate, if Paul was married, I think this should settle it right here. Because no wife would ever let their husband say such a thing. What is Paul talking about? You see, before you just write Paul off as a misogynistic pig, I think it's important that we make some observations. There's some obvious ones that God's Word is is His breath to us. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So if it's in here, God has blessed this. But... There's a couple of philosophical observations we need to make this morning to help make light of this, of how we live in accordance with this scripture. Write it in if you're taking notes. A philosophical observation. One of the extremes is this idea, this philosophy of male chauvinism. This opinion, this philosophy would say that men are better than women. Women are not as smart or as capable as men. Now, Aristotle popularized this view, and he taught that women were morally and mentally inferior to man, and that women somewhere fell between the spectrum of an animal and a man. 
Now, as a husband of a very capable woman and a father of a wonderful daughter, this makes me angry. This can't be right. My wife says amen. It's at a very appropriate place. <laughs> this can't be right. What's happening here? But we need to understand this is one philosophy that, that Paul is dealing with that we also deal with today. There's another extreme of a philosophical opinion. It's of radical feminism. Where one would say that women are better than men. With men in charge, the world has been ruined. It's been all messed up. And so a radical feminist would say that we need to lift women above and they need to be over and in charge of men in every category of life. And so any suggestion that there would be a male authority over a woman would be totally against this radical feminism. There is a third, and there's probably more, but this is a third that we're going to look at today of a philosophical observation. It's that of complementarianism. As a church, as a body of believers, I believe as biblical Christians, this is probably where we fall in this thought. This view is complementarianism, and it's it's really important to understand gender roles of what Paul is talking about. It maintains that men and women are equal. They are equal in their value. They are equal in their worth. It teaches that men and women are equal image bearers of God. That we bear the image of God, man and woman. But see, even though there is equal value and equal worth, God has ordained that there are different roles to be played at different times. And there's a theological observation. Jot that in here. Theological. If that... that, bugs you theology theos is god ology study of this is a study of god an understanding of god a viewpoint that helps us understand god's opinion right here look at this paul begins to use some words about the trinity we're chewing on some meat so hang with me the trinity is is that god the father the son and the holy spirit they're three in one Distinct persons, but yet one nature, one person, one God. We begin to see that Paul is using an example of the Trinity, and he says, you know what? Man is to submit to Christ. And in this context, it's important to know that these words in the original language, man and woman, could also probably better be translated man and wife. This working definition of a trinity helps us understand. Paul is saying, God the Father has authority over Jesus. Now this in no way demeans Jesus or makes him less God. That was a role of authority that the Father has. He submitted to the authority of God the Father. In no way is he a less part of the Godhead. They're equal in value, equal in worth, but different in roles. The Holy Spirit, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. That was his role, and that is his role. That doesn't make him any less God. No, they are equal in value, equal in worth, and different in roles. So here's the concept that Paul is talking about. They're equal in divinity, but complementary in their responsibilities. And he's saying, guys, you're missing this in worship. He said, well, Pastor... I kind of got the whole God and God alone about worship. What does all this have to do with worship? He says, you're putting on something that seems it's squeezing you. It doesn't fit. And you're not operating in worship the way you're supposed to because you are living for your own rights. 
And you need to understand, Paul is saying, that we need to submit to authority, to God's authority in worship. If we don't submit in worship, we miss what God wants to do for us. He goes on. We begin to see that he calls husbands to responsibility. Whenever there's authority given, there is a different level of responsibility. In Genesis 3, we read the account of where sin entered into the world and, and Eve take the, took the first bite. And as I was reading about this this week, it would be kind of customary to follow some of the cartoons we see that, well, Eve brought sin into the world, but that's not what Romans 5 talks about. But Romans 5, if we look at this, it tells us that man was responsible because Adam was held accountable for Eve's actions. Romans 5 said sin entered the world through one man, through Adam. And the responsibility he was given, we can see here in the text in Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Some cartoons make us think that Adam is off doing something and then Eve just eats an apple and then she comes and finds him and gives him an apple. That's not what the text is saying. He was with her. He was actively participating and saying, well, you just go ahead and eat that and I'm going to watch. You know, a lot of men that I know, they treat their responsibility as a spiritual leader the same way. They just kind of sit back and just call to worship and to submit to God and his authority is for us to be responsible in one way or another. God has given authority over each and every one of us. And an attitude of worship, if we don't come underneath the covering of authority and spiritual authority, we miss what God wants to do. Now, before I totally lose you, hang with me here because he gets kind of strange. Look in verse 4. He begins to talk about some cultural custom things that were leading them astray in their worship. One, there was obviously a a desire to buck the authority system and make worship about whatever they wanted. We'll talk about that in a second. But look at verse 4. We begin to see every man who prays or prophesies, giving a word from the Lord, with his head covered, dishonors God. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors God. Is just as though her head was shaved. Now, sometimes we want to just skip over these verses and say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. What is Paul teaching us? Let's look for the principle. The principle is there has been authority given. The principle is there's been instruction on worship. So I get it. Pastor, what you're saying is this is about hats in church, right? No, no. This is not about hats in church. Paul is clearly addressing a very real problem. If you listen, he's saying, women, if you want to lead in worship, you want to be a part of leading in church, here's what you need to do. Don't let your outward appearance depict something that we are not about in our hearts. The women who would shave their heads to look more masculine or to to signify their occupation as a prostitute would hang out in the pagan temples and that would be the way they would adorn themselves. Or women who would let their hair all the way down as something that was to be reserved for their husband alone. And this was not pointing to God and God alone. And so they were coming to this conflict and worship about authority and what God had said. And Paul says, listen, this is really a simple fact. Worship is not about you. It's not about your rules that we talked about last week. It's not about what you feel like are your rights. It's about God and God alone. So how can we take this principle and... Excuse me, see it come into play for us here today. 
Well, well, friends, if you ask me about a dress code for worship, I have a hard time answering because I don't, how do you dress seven days a week? I don't know. You tell me how you dress at work. Your boss may tell you something. But I think you're asking me about, well, when we come in here, what do we wear? You've heard me say it before. Men, women, boys, girls, wear whatever you want to. Just wear enough of it. I don't care what you wear. Wear whatever you want to wear enough of it. Because you see, for us and our culture and our context, if we would wear something that was, was revealing too much of our skin, of our body, drawing attention to ourself more than to God, we're not leading in worship. And so this is an attitude that we need to take far more than how we dress, far more than, than what we wear on our head or not head, or if we have hair or don't have hair. Some of us can't even do anything with our hair. But, but Paul is saying, this is a real problem for you. You're making worship about something other than God alone. You're making worship about how you can assert your rights. He says, just submit to the authority given to you. Paul is going to give us some teaching a little bit later on in how we take care of these different roles in worship. 1 Samuel 15.22 tells us, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as he does obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. So obedience, submission to God is what he is after. Friends, I believe one of the challenges for us in the American church is that we have made worship about anything other than God alone and submitting to his authority and the authority in our life. In Western worship, at least, we come in and we say, I want to find music that I like. I want to find a tempo and a volume that I like. I want to find the person who will say what I want them to say. They will preach Bible, but they will also preach good good stories. They'll make me laugh. They'll make me cry. And you know what? They'll do all that before noon so I can get to lunch on time. And, and it's about what I want to consume. And this is not about... God alone. This is not about submitting to the authority of God and those He's placed around me. This is about what I want. And, and you know, wonder that we're stifled and sucked in. I've been in gatherings where it has been modern or it's been traditional, but it's been anything other than of God. So I don't care at all about a style or a preference. I believe what Paul is teaching us is do whatever we're going to do, but let's do it for God's glory. Do whatever we're going to do, but let's do it to make sure that we are making Him number one and not myself number one. And sometimes I have to humble myself before you and before one another and say, I'm going to submit to your authority. There's some who say, well, Paul, who are you to tell us how to do church? You're not here. You left. <laughs> I told you it'd feel like it's squeezing tight today. Hey, have you ever thought about coming to worship corporately about, I'm just going to help Pastor Edgar know what he needs to do. What if we would submit and say, God, you've given us a great structure. You've given us spiritual covering and a pastoral staff. You've given us great spiritual covering and, and, a, and a body elected board of elders and, and leaders and say, you know what? Today is about you. It's not about what I wanted to see happen. It's about what you want to see happen. And so here's where we need to get riled up, church. If we begin to see that our gatherings are not pointing to God, and our gatherings are more about us and not about what God wants to do, then let's get riled up and cause a rift because that's not what God wants. Anything else, let's not waste time. They will know 
about Him by the way we love one another and the way we love Him? What if worship is what knit our hearts together? We came in worshiping God and we could not help but wanting to give Him glory and praise corporately together of what we did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that I could care less about the lights. I could care less about the air condition. I could care less about the score or the lyric because I am here ready to praise God. Oh, that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. Our final one, if you're wondering if we're on time, we are so on time. It's unbelievable how on time we are. But don't even think about it. It's good. Final thought. Principle that Paul gives us in this passage. I'm not making these up. I'm not pulling it out. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11 and begin to see this is really in the Bible. You know, we just finished Friday 40 days through the New Testament together, right? If you participated in one of those 40 days, raise your hand real high. Just one. That's it. Awesome. And some of you has asked me, well, Pastor, what do we read next? This. Well, what plan do we need to read? You ask God to read. Ask Him to help you know what to read. But this final thought, as we read through His Word and allow it to, to fill our hearts up, it's this principle to honor the sacrifice of Jesus. Real quickly before I read this verse, and this isn't a long one. Here's the situation. Paul is confronting the Christians who are making a very sacred aspect of, of worship, communion time, about themselves. Here what was happening is at communion they were treated like a potluck. They would bring their favorite food to this time of worship. And some had more than others and they weren't wanting to share. Kids, have you ever been to lunch and somebody had a good lunch and, and they didn't want to share? I mean, they had ham and green olive pizza, which is the best pizza in the world, and they wouldn't share. Do you like ham and green olive pizza? Good, I keep it for myself. And, 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 and they brought food to church and they wouldn't share it. Some brought steak and lobsters and, and they were ready to worship and they were just filling their stomachs with it. Others, all they had was ramen noodles. There was nothing else they could use. Some came in and they already partook of the wine and so they were intoxicated, they were drunk, and they made it about a feast to feed themselves. Listen to these words that Paul gives them. Verse 23 of chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this, whenever you drink of it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. The heart of what he is saying here is, remember and proclaim the death of Jesus. When worship gets off track, it's when you make it about something else. He's saying it another way. He says, remember and proclaim the death of Jesus. Examine our hearts and our lives. I want to thank you for your attention this morning. And I think a takeaway for us today is to ask the question, who or what holds a position of glory in your life? For who or for what 
will you sacrifice? When you walk into gatherings like this, you're already worshiping something. The question is, what are you worshiping? See, God wants to grow you and I deeper into the things of Him so we can get all puffed up and excited about ourselves. No! So we can be strong and carry the good news to everybody around us. And He's intended worship to help us in that. It won't happen if we make it about ourselves. So Paul gave them some words and He's given them to us today. One, worship has to be about God and God alone. Worship needs to be about submitting to His authority and the authority around us because He knows... Our first response is, but I have a right. Really? So men, why don't you stand up and say, you know what, for me and my house, I'm going to lay down my life and give an example of seven days a week worship for my family. Women, why don't you give an example and say, you know what, I'm going to love and serve the spiritual leader of my house the way that I would love and serve Jesus. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But finally, when you worship in here and out of here, do we ever remember and proclaim the death and the sacrifice of Jesus? Or do we say, are we singing about that again? Are we talking about the blood again? Are we talking about Jesus dying on the cross again? Tell me something I don't know. God may want to tell you something that you have here, and he wants to drive it here. Because until my heart is broken for what he has done for me, until my heart is broken for the things that are he is broken over, I will be no use to anybody out there. And we've been talking, we know He's calling us out there, but worship needs to bring us in tune with Him. Let's pray together, because we're really ready to worship now. But we don't need to do it in here, we need to go and do it out there. Father, thank You so much that Your Word is living and active. It's so sharp, it cuts right to the point in our life. I pray that You'll take these words that You first gave to Paul and may have first intended for the church of Corinth. But no doubt, as Paul said, it's for believers everywhere. And you had in mind Fort Wayne, Indiana, right here today. I pray that you will save us from the pitfall of rules and save us from the other pitfall of our rights and keep our eyes focused on you. Teach us the joy of putting on the garment of praise and worshiping you and something that was designed to fit us, not squeeze us into some false mode. So we commit today... At lunch, at dinner, at work, at home, at school, we're going to put you first and look to glorify you in every situation. We're going to submit and say it's not always about me, it's about the authority you've placed in my life. And we are going to remember and proclaim and hold to the fact that you gave the greatest sacrifice for us. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping today. Men. If you want to lead in worship, one option for you, join us Thursday morning at 6.30 in the Youth Center. Rush hour starts. Everybody, you're invited tonight at 6 o'clock as we walk in the Spirit together, studying what God has for us. Have a great afternoon. It's time for worship to start, so go do it there, not here. See ya.